Welcome and thank you for joining us here for the Bread of Life, a ministry of the Bread of Life Fellowship of Boise, Idaho. Bread and water is what we need and what we have in Jesus Christ. He said, come to me and drink. He said, I am the bread of life. However we adorn our Christian faith, it rests in this most basic thing. Christ is all. Let's learn from him. Let's learn about him. Now here's our teacher, Joel Van Hoogen. The answer rolls off our tongues easily and makes its way into much of our praise and worship. What do we live for? We live for the glory of God. It sounds just right, and it is. But what does it mean? We're working our way towards understanding just that, and towards understanding just how that happens in our lives. So I do the right things according to God's will, and that's a step in the right direction. I do the right thing according to God's will because I want to glorify Him. That's a better direction. I do the right things according to His will so that I could glorify Him by enjoying Him. That's the best direction. That's the complete direction. And again, God cannot be enjoyed if you're not bringing joy to Him. That's the goal. I'm thankful for God's Word because God's Word works to increasingly make clear His design and purpose for our lives. And all that we've just said so far, I actually think there's more clarity that's needed. And so we're going to move from 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 20 to Hebrews chapter 12, verses 1 and 2. Before we do that, let me make a little clarification here about giving God glory or glorifying God. We sing songs like, we give glory to the Lord, and we might repeat it over and over again. And I want you to know that when we move to glorify God or give God glory, it's not because God is lacking in glory. When we say that we're going to give God glory, we're not saying that we're adding or can add anything to God or give God anything that he does not already have. Here's what we mean here. God is all glorious. God is full of glory. He will never lack, nor has he ever lacked a full expression of his own awesomeness and greatness of glory, majesty, power, dominion. It's all His. So the act of glorifying God is not an act of adding anything to God or producing anything by our behavior or actions that contributes to the glory of God. You're not saying, God, i got something to give you. You need a little more glory. You're lacking something. That's not what the Bible is teaching and what's impressing upon us when we give glory to God, when we glorify God. And this is very important for us to understand because it will help us begin to understand how we glorify God. Paul is preaching to the Athenians in Acts chapter 17. And in verses 24 and 25, Paul says this to the Athenians. God, who made the world and everything in it, since he is Lord of heaven and earth, does not dwell in temples made with hands, nor is he worshipped with men's hands as though he needed anything, since he gives to all life and breath and all things. What's he saying? God is not lacking in anything. You have nothing to give him that God is without. He has it all. It's all his. And if this is true then glorifying God or giving God glory must mean that we are actually returning to God or bringing to God what is already His. 
something that already belongs to him. God is not glorified by getting something from you. God is actually glorified by bringing something to you. You know what he brings to you? He brings to you himself. And he's glorified when you receive him. And when you receive what he brings to you. That's the idea. That's the thought. And actually that that brings us to this third point. I want you to think of it this way. There's a face for us to look upon when we glorify God. And it's here I think that we're going to find an answer, the most practical answer to how I live to glorify God. You glorify God by reflecting back from your life the glory that you receive and discover when you look on Him. You glorify God by reflecting back from your life the honor and the blessing and the glory that you receive and you discover when you look on Him. You think about your life for a moment and just think of your life for a moment as if your life is a mirror, which it is. Your life is a mirror. And whatever you're facing and whatever you're looking at is what you're glorifying. Do you know what you do most of the times? You glorify the world because when you face and you look at the world and you calculate the world and you covet the world and you want to engage in the world, you are glorifying the world. You're reflecting upon it. You glorify yourself because when you think about yourself and your desires and your needs and what satisfies you and what your wants are and what your impulses are and you live for your own satisfaction, you know what your life is? Your life is a blaring declaration of the glory of yourself. You're glorifying yourself. You glorify whatever you are facing. You glorify whatever you're looking at because your life is a mirror reflecting what is around you. And if you're going to reflect the glory of God from your life like a mirror, if you're going to glorify Him, you're going to have to be facing God. You cannot reflect God's glory from your life unless you're looking at Him and unless you're facing Him. The whole concern of the author of Hebrews in chapter 12 to those he's writing to is that they would live a life of ongoing endurance, being faithful in their Christian walk to know Christ and to proclaim Him and to make Him known, and that their lives would be, in a sense, an adequate expression of a replacement for all of the Jewish worship system and everything that was going on in the temple, and their lives would be a radiating expression that they themselves are temples of the living God. And so he tells them, in order for them to do this, they must look or fix their eyes on Jesus. It's not a matter of facing the Lord's general direction and doing their best and trying to be good. It's a matter of intently and only fixing their eyes on Christ so that the whole of life and the whole reason for their life is found in Him and is reflected by Him. He wants God to be glorified. So positively, you cannot glorify God if you're not facing Him. And by the way, if you're facing Him, you can't help but glorify God. Reflect Him. Radiate Him. There's a negative way of looking at this as well, and I think this is informative for us, a negative way. My father used to say this quite often. He used to say that it's impossible to sin when you're looking into the face of God. It's impossible to sin when you're looking. What a person does to sin is, this is why people suppress the knowledge of God. What a person does in sin is they turn away from the face of God. In fact, the first evil act in any sin, in any compromise in your life, is a defiance of the presence of God in your life. It's a refusal to turn yourself to look at Him and gaze upon Him. It's an intent 
in your own heart and mind to look at the world instead or to look to your own desires and your own flesh instead. It is actually a refusal to glorify God. That's what it is. Because you won't look at Him. You turn from Him. That's where sin begins. We, in our scripture reading, read Psalm 26. I'd like you to take your Bibles and go back to Psalm 26. David is writing a psalm, and by the way, many of the psalms that David writes are so expressive that they have to go beyond David's experience, but it's as if David, as he's writing, is prophetically setting the stage for a song and a declaration that only can be made by the Lord Jesus Christ, because he's perfect and wonderful in every way. At the same time, what David says is not without a reality in his own life. In other words, he's not lying, he's not telling tall tales. He's experiencing something in his own life. In the translation that was read for our scripture reading this morning, it says that David says, I've walked blameless before you. In many of our other translations, it reads a little bit tempered from there. It says, I've walked in my integrity. In other words, the expression of how I live my life is not me just trying to be good and behave and me somehow harnessing my worst behavior, but actually what I've done is I've given expression to something that is internally within me. I'm giving expression to a character that you've planted within me, my integrity. But David is going to sing a song, and it's the boast of a righteous man. And David is not only going to sing a song of God's glory, but really what David is going to do is say, my life is an expression of your glory. My life is giving glory to you. My very life is going to sing before you. And so in verse 1 of 26, in the boast of the righteous man, he says he walks his integrity. That is it. He's inwardly driven to do the right thing. He also says that he trusts in God. His, his integrity isn't rising out of some attempt to try to prove himself or to be good, but it, it arises out of a trust or confidence in who God is and resting and leaning upon the very nature of God. In verse 2, he calls God to prove him or test this character in him and see and let it be demonstrated that his mind and his heart, his intellect and his affections are set earnestly upon God. In verse 3, he says he he walks in truth. Some of our translations says, I walk in your faithfulness, but it's, I walk in your truth. That is that he's saying that truth is not something that he somehow just intellectually engages in a life and acknowledges with his mind, but that it's practically reflected by the way he lives. It's not just a theory that he aspires to or that he affirms, but it's a reality that goes along with him in all of his actions. In verse 4, he says he doesn't make company with those who are of falsehood, is what some translations have, but the, the idea here is given to us in the King James, the New King James. He, he doesn't share the company with the idolatrous. That is, those who find their worth or take their direction from anything but God Himself. He avoids those who pretend to worship God or make a show of obedience but in their hearts are idolaters who find their worth and their value in themselves. He avoids living among and communing with hypocrites. He actually says he despises or he will not sit and assemble or consult with their company. Verse 5, he continues. He has a steely animosity. He hates those who gather to practice, celebrate, or plan what is evil or wrong. 
That rules out a lot of the parties our kids go to nowadays. Right? I avoid them. I actually hate that company and that environment. Verse 26, he comes to worship God. And he says he washes his hands in innocence. That's what this means. When the Jews would come in the temple to bring their sacrifices, the first thing they always did was wash their hands. They never came to the temple without washing their hands. And the act was an act of trusting that God would remove the defilement that comes upon them by living in a broken and fallen world. They knew that there was the defilement of sin all around them. And so they would come to give their praise and their worship to God. And they sought God to remove from them that defilement and to forgive them that defilement. But what he's saying is that he's not aware as he comes of any willful acts of rebellion in his life. When he says, I wash my hand in innocence, he's simply saying, I haven't willfully, I haven't come before you. I'm not coming here knowing that I'm harboring in my heart some willful sin. David writes in another passage, if I regard iniquity in my heart, you will not hear me. And he's saying, I'm not regarding, treasuring, keeping, storing, hiding some sinful act. No, I'm washing my hands in innocence as I come before you. I know that the world defiles me, but as I come before you, I'm not aware of any willful act on my part. Verse 7, he says that he does all this and what he pursues with his life of innocence, with his life of integrity, is so that without hypocrisy, he would give voice to his thanksgiving and praise of God before others. What's he saying? I do all this because I want to glorify you. You see that? You see, this is the boast of the righteous man. Thanks for joining us today. You've been listening to The Bread of Life, a ministry of the Bread of Life Fellowship. For a copy of this broadcast, just call us at 208-331-4096. Until the next time, God bless you.